This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Let's stand together. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, and then I'm going to hone in on just uh, verses 18 through 23, but I want to read this whole prayer. And how many of you enjoyed my, my father last week as he preached? Dad, you did a great job. I'm proud of you. Proud of you. I know it was your first time and you've really struggled. You were nervous, I could tell. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope in which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to move this back. Let me check. I can already tell it's a tripping hazard for for a moving preacher. Church, I I, uh, have enjoyed preaching through the book of Ephesians, I've enjoyed to see how God has been speaking to us. Remember this as you approach God's word. As preachers, our aim is to not just, uh, uh, to not just uh, give you something to walk out and be edified, but is, is namely for you to, to, to be drawn closer and to know Christ. I'm not trying to give you five practical steps to do something. I want to give you Jesus, right? Because in this, as we see Christ being magnified, what you see in this is a real continued exaltation of the person of Jesus and his work. Remember, we started the book, just kind of recapping if you're new with us, we started the book for the first six weeks with just a a praise song, right? A song of praise. He entered this whole time with just a song of praise about the reality of who God is, who we are because of who God is, the work that he's done, and how he has so richly blessed us, chosen us, adopted us, redeemed us, forgiven us, reconciling all things, heaven and earth being brought back together. Something happens, church, when you praise. Something happens when you praise. Here's what happens. All of a sudden, everything, see, what sin does is is it radically curves you to you. So all you think about is you. The most dangerous thing you can do is always think about you. 
That's what sin does. It turns you towards self. What praise does is reorient your, your heart and your eyes and your minds towards who God is. That's why it's uncomfortable for us. Because we come in here and go, what can I get out of the music? What can I get out of this time? What can I get out of this? And that, that question already starts us in the wrong place. How can I redirect my sight? All every day of my life, I'm only thinking about all these things. Myself, the powers around us, how helpless and hopeless I feel, how I'm working all day and toiling and struggling. And we walk into a place like this or we enter into our times of prayer and we enter with praise and thanksgiving because we need to start with our Father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. But here's what quickly happens. You don't get too far into the song before you sing about how good and powerful and wonderful and amazing he is. And you're, you're, you're in that jam. And you, you, you start to hear the words you're singing. He's forgiven. He's adopted. He's given us all spiritual blessings. And we're sitting and then, and then, and then all of a sudden, what, 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 you open your eyes for a minute. And you realize everything you're singing about looks different than everything you're seeing around you. And all of a sudden, you're aware of how far heaven and earth are separated. You're aware of how big the gap is between what you're singing about and what you're experiencing. Now, I, I, I love being a part of RSU. Uh, I've been kind of reliving my childhood by being a part of the leadership for the students here. The other day we were talking about creation and all that God has done in creation. And you better believe the first question we got when we broke into small groups is, if God is that, then why is it like this? I know that's just a, a youth question, right? Y'all have never asked that one. Y'all have never felt the, the pressure or the pain. If God is good, then why is this? If this is what God has done, then why is it so bad? I mean, the, the dance that you were just in praise all of a sudden starts slowing down, and you're like, these words just feel fake. They feel so disconnected from the reality of the world. And all of a sudden you start getting weighed down and you start questioning the validity. Because if this is who God is, if he is rich in blessing, if he is good beyond measure, if he's forgiven and adopted, if he's done this work, can you see why praise would lead to prayer? Because when you begin to set your eyes upon the truth of the gospel, Paul flows nicely into prayer. Because he starts seeing what it is in heaven, and he starts remembering what the church of Ephesus is facing every day. You see, the church in Ephesus, much like us today, 
people of Ephesus are used to experiencing a different culture, a different power, a different authority that they're living in. They were very accustomed to things like magic and idolatry and false worship. The hard part for us, church, is we hear about like idol worship, sorcery. When we hear about stuff like this, we become so like sophisticated and progressive. We've so grown past that. It's fascinating to me to sit in history classes because we love to study other times and cultures with such an arrogance. Like we've progressed. We really believe. As we look at the church of Ephesus, you study like, man, they're into sorcery and witchcraft and, and little idol worship and, and all these kinds of powers and, and, and things that are happening. And you look and you go, that's so silly. We look back even on American history and we study other times, just even recent history, and we look at the, the pain and the struggle and the slavery and the, the, the issues of that time, and you look at it and you go, well, that was then. We moved past all that. But we are so blind to the powers in which shape us today. All of a sudden, we become so wide open to, I can't believe they even thought that way. I can't believe they would enslave people this way. I can't believe they would believe these things. I can't believe they would win this. We've grown so much past it, and we're so blind. They, 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 they say, never ask a fish about water because they don't know anything else. They swim in it every day. Without it, they can't exist. Church, you and I are so steeped in the powers of this culture, and we are so shaped by all the isms and so entrapped in this that you don't even know how to explain what you're in. You don't even know how to make sense of it. And the minute you start looking at consumerism and individualism and socialism and all of these realities, patriotism, nationalism, all of these things that shape us, that develop our, our ideas of how the world should work, our celebrations, our fears, our traditions, our laughters, our practices, our beliefs, our affections, our governments, our rulers, our systems, our laws. You're just in it. Paul sees his family and leads them in a time of praise and transitions nicely into a time of prayer because prayer is the only posture that you could lead into. When your next prayer is, Our Father out in heaven, hallowed be your name, is this. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying along with God's plan for the reconciliation of heaven and earth. And when you see the gap in praise, you immediately start praying, let what is in heaven be what is on earth. <laughs> Church, we, we are so shaped by the things around us, we start to believe that the heavenly realities of praise are mythical unicorn creatures that actually have zero power to do anything in this world or in the world to come. And so because of that, we don't even pray because we don't praise. Our praise has been shaped by what we think has the most, listen, power. Listen to his prayer. Now, I'm not going to spend time on this because... My dad did an incredible job, but I just want you to remember what he prayed for so that we can go back. But he says in verse 17, just for a moment, listen to what he says, that the Lord of our Lord, the, the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you his spirit and wisdom of revelation of the knowledge of him. Listen to what he prays. He prays a Trinitarian prayer. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are mentioned in one line there. That the Father, that Jesus, and the Spirit would give us a revelation of the knowledge of what? Him. Now here's what I need you to understand about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We try to wrestle with these realities of this Trinitarian relationship. Why is it important that he prays in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Is because they in themselves are distinct, but one and cannot be separated. So you cannot know Jesus apart from the Father and the Spirit. You can't know the Father apart from Jesus and the Spirit. You can't know the Spirit apart from Jesus and the Father. They are so tied together, you can't separate them, dissect them, and figure them out. This is the only way I can understand this is you can't know me apart from my wife. You can't. We're one. When people think of me, I want them to think Aaron and Dana. I don't want them to just think Aaron. Why? Because if you want to fully know me, you can only know me in the context of my relationships. If you want to fully know me, you can't know me apart from my family. You can't know me apart from my community. Why? Because you guys have eyes and parts of my life that only can be displayed inside of that community. This perfect Trinitarian relationship that all are one, you cannot separate them. All of them are pointing to the other, giving glory to the other. The Father points to the Son and the Spirit. The Son points to the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit points to the Son and the Father. They're constantly glorifying one. It's this perfect relationship. They know each other fully. So that knowledge of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit is what he's praying we will be drawn into. Wrestle with that later. That in the name of the Father and Son, that he would give you a revelation of the knowledge of him. Here's, here's where we struggle because we take knowledge and we say things like knowledge is, okay? Y'all heard that before? Knowledge is power. 
We take knowledge, and what we mean by knowledge is power. We believe knowledge is education. So we've put inside of there this idea of education and knowledge gives us power. But the kind of knowledge that is being prayed for is far less about understanding and far more about experience. The kind of knowledge that he's praying for is more covenantal. It's more father-son spirit than it is stalker. I am so concerned that more Christians have a stalker relationship with Jesus Christ than an actual covenantal relationship. Meaning they study him, they read about him, they learn facts about him, and they just look over the fence at him. They know him from a distance. They can spout out theology they've learned in classes. They can speak of him and tell you facts about him and, and, and dominate you with power. How many of you have seen theo theology debates end up with one person walking out feeling like they dominated and feeling like Christ was in it? They used beliefs theology, all of those things help us richly know and understand and draw us nearer to Christ. But when it just becomes facts, we become stalkers. The question is, the stalker may know more facts about the celebrity, but the wife knows the celebrity. knows him. That's the kind of knowledge that he is praying for. He's not praying, Lord, give him more understanding, although that helps, right? The more I know about somebody, the, the more I can become aware of how to, to serve and love and care for. Yes, know them in your mind, but it's more of this kind of knowledge. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. Yeah, that's part of it. Your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Here's the kind of knowledge that Paul is praying for. It's more of an understanding of, of, of here, these two words. A knowledge that is understanding, experience, and conformity. I know, I understand I've experienced, so I'm in relationship with, and I'm conformed into his image. I'm becoming like him. This full-bodied knowledge. Oh, that the church of Jesus Christ would be a people who know him. Know him. Church, you are not just drawn into a distant knowledge of facts about Jesus. You are drawn into a covenantal relationship. When I was dating my wife, we broke up for various reasons. We were horrible at dating. Horrible at it. Thank God I'm out of that 
place in my life that was a struggle. We broke up, and I started dating another girl immediately because I was that kind of player, you know? <laughs> and I took this girl over to my brother's house who had met Dana, who is my wife now, going on 20 years this year. Five kids, killing it, right? So my brother met Dana, and now I am bringing this new girl and introducing this new girl. Great girl. We get done eating, have a good time. My brother sends you know, her to meet with my sister-in-law, and he comes and pulls me in the room, and he gives me a little chat. He says, Aaron, do you like her? I said, yeah. So I started listing all of the things that I knew I should like about her. I had knowledge about her personality. I had knowledge about kind of her desires. I had knowledge about her. And he sat down with me and he said, Aaron, the Lord has given you five senses. Yes, he's given you thought for sure, but he's given you five senses. And whoever you are drawn into covenant with, God wants you to not only know about her, but he wants you to love her with every sense of who you are. He could see that she checked the boxes, but I wasn't all in. Broke up with her that night, tried to explain, didn't go over well. <laughs> but he could see. He could see how I looked at her, Dana. And how I looked at this other girl. You better believe that they can see how you look at the things of the world and how you look at Jesus. They can see what you're attracted to. What you really want and what you desire and what you know what you've experienced and what you've longed for and everything, but Jesus just checks off your boxes of what you need. Paul is praying for something that can't happen through more education. He's praying that they will experience him. Because he just sang of his praises. Now he's saying, let this go so much deeper than just this. I got to move. I'm, I'm, I am not even hit the next point. <laughs> Lord, help me today. What does he else do to pray for? He plays for hope, glory, and power in verse 18 through 23. He prays for hope, glory. Man. Dad hit on that last week, this idea of we are a people of hope. We're a people of glory. This glory is not only Jesus is our inheritance, but we are his inheritance. It sounds a lot like I am my beloved's and he is mine. We are in a real relationship and that glory of the relationship is not just that he's forgiven us, adopted, but that he, he wants us. Then he prays for power. This one's hard. 
I'm going to be honest. I could see why he spends a lot of time praying for power, and this is where we're going to end our time together, is this idea of what is power. And the reason why is because we feel and sense the powers of this present age. Notice the, the powers that he mentions in this text. I, I want you to, to just kind of pour, uh, underline them and look at, he looks at, at that Christ has raised them from the dead, so there's the power of death. He, he mentions rulers and authorities of this age and the age to come. So he mentions the power of death. He mentions the power of governments and powers and authorities, and he mentions demonic powers. Now, this is hard for us because we may shake our heads, but this is more felt than understood because the reality is many of us can relate to individually the fear of dying. There is nothing more humbling than realizing no matter how much I eat, work out, I'm not speaking against these things, church, but no matter how much I do it, I do not control when I die. There are many people who have eaten way healthier who died way earlier. There are many people who have worked out every day and contracted diseases that have left them crippled. And many of us walk around with this fear of death. It has power over us. No matter how much money we have, no matter how much, uh, uh, how much resources we have, no matter how much we can try to ignore it, the finality of, of, of death and then not knowing what is after, we're not believing there is something after, whatever it may be, this idea of we will die haunts us. There's a fear individually of death that people use, that people are under. Many of us can relate to that. But on top of that, there's a, a fear or a power that is felt, can't be explained, when you live in a governmental system that has power and authority over you. <laughs> oh, I know it says that this is a government of the people, by the people, for the people. But the question then becomes, what people? Who, who's the ones that are really controlling this thing? Because there are so many people that are not saying, this feels like it's for me. There are so many people who are oppressed victimized under the oppression of structures and systems and no matter how hard we try to put frosting on it this thing's falling apart oh i know we're a proud nation right we're better than everybody else we love to boast in ourselves and how we've got this thing figured out But I'm going to tell you, there's governments and rulers and authorities 
who when we get to a place where we're experiencing real problems and real injustices and real struggles in the world around us, have no idea what they're doing. I wish I could share stories. But if you've ever been in a place where people are being oppressed and struggled and abused and sitting in that room and begging for justice and they're blinded by their rules and laws and don't have the discernment to see or the power to eradicate the sin that is actually controlling. Paul's saying, look, you're living under this fear of death that you're constantly fear. You're living in Ephesus where there's this power and government that is actually controlling and you feel helpless within. And then you're living also not only in the rulers and authorities of this age, but of the age to come. He's speaking of the demonic evil. I, I don't know other ways to put this uh, because if you haven't done a lot of research, we're a people who are rationalists. We've moved into the enlightenment, so we've ruled out demonic forces. If we can't explain it, we don't touch it. But there is evil that is unexplainable. There is evil where you look at it and you go, I can't explain it, and it feels uh, icky. You're like, uh, that person is not controlling themselves. Uh, what, what is being said in this is that that fear of death that you just feel like, I can't get over. That, that fear of, of victimization, that I'm just a part of a system that I can't overcome, or that fear of evil, that there's demonic influences that, that are going to overtake us and, and control everything, that, that fear of all of this, he goes, ah, that's the power that you've subjected, that you're a part of this system, this world system, this demonic force, this fear of all of this, that Jesus says, I'm Lord over all of it. I've, I've conquered all of it. And then we go, oh, wait a minute. If that's true, Lord, then why are things going so bad? If anybody in this room has grown overwhelmed by the powers that seem to be shaping everything in this world and the things in which you are a part of. And when you begin to understand all that is in Christ, you start to look at the powers and you feel the forces. Have you ever been in a place where you feel helpless? Let's, let's just start with you. Have you ever looked at the face of something controlling you and going, I can't change this. Forget out there. Have you ever had a sin that so gripped you and you've been so enslaved to that you've literally believed this thing has more power over my life than the resurrected Savior? Have you ever been sitting in a room 
where you're begging for justice or, or putting something out there where you're hoping people will hear that we're being oppressed and we're being beaten and we're being abandoned and nobody cares. Have you ever felt the presence of evil and you just can't explain it? Our problem when we feel fearful and helpless is we desire to be strong and powerful. Come on, church. I was there this week, and I've been there so many times where I've watched injustice happen and everything wants to rise up within me and kill them. I want to be stronger. I want to outpower. I want to overthrow. Why do you think that the Jewish, the Israelites, the people of God, why do you think when they wanted their Messiah to come, he was going to come and overthrow the government? He was going to come in power. But we, with our longing and desire to be strong and powerful, address the problem that the problem is that our definition of power is different than the definition of the gospel. We think strength and dominance is power. But what he shows in these short two prayers is he's praying, Lord, would you show them what real power is? Would you give them the revelation of the knowledge of the power that only comes through the gospel? Hear, hear this, because I, I, wish, I wish I could help you, but, 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 but just pray through this, because this is not going to come by me explaining it or giving you a cute illustration. It's only going to come when the Holy Spirit just opens your eyes. But you watch too many movies. Your theology has been shaped about Jesus by Marvel Comics and not by Scripture and the narrative itself. You believe that a true superhero comes swooping in and kills your enemy and destroys everything that is harming you and oppressing you and delivers you out of it and brings you into this perfect place, right? This is the way we understand power, but the kind of power that the gospel displays, let's just admit, we call that foolishness. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God for those who believe. It's foolishness because if you listen to what the power of the gospel is, you see that time... When Christ, the God of all things, who has all power, all dominion, created all things, all authority, this Father, Son, Spirit, sends his Son. Here comes our superhero! What does he do? He comes into the world in which he created, and he humbles himself all the way to the point of death. Hear this, hear this. I don't know how to explain this, except this is the picture that came to my mind. 
Have you ever watched Kimbo Slice ever? I mean, he's, I think he's gone now. Kimbo Slice, he was this boxer, street boxer. There's this video where he's out and he's in this and there's this guy who's, he's fighting and Kimbo goes, hit me. Hit me as hard as you can. The dude just goes, whack, and Kimbo laughs. And the dude realizes, that was the best I had. (laughs) You see, that kind of absorbing the, the most devastating blow that took away the power of his enemy is closer to what Christ has actually done for us. He didn't come and just go, I'm going to outpower you. He comes and goes, give me your best shot. Satan and all of his demons rear back with all the blow that he could give and just full out clocks him and he dies and they think in that moment we outpowered Jesus. He absorbs the wrath, the punishment. He absorbs the best blow that the the enemy could give. Think of all the government systems that go, we're going to put this guy to death. He's causing problems. All the structures and systems go, give us your, put him on the cross. Give him our best blow. Think of how he conquered death, that fear of death that we have, that we think, oh man, death is final. He goes, put me to death. Give me your best blow. And in Christ, instead of him coming and killing all of his enemies, which would be us, as a part of the sons of disobedience that we're going to read about next week, would be us. We deserve death. He shows us what true power is, is not being able to outpower all the powers of the world, but being able to absorb all of their evil and power and being able to absorb all the strength that they could ever have and rise up and take victory over it and conquer death, hell, and the grave by showing I got this. I got this. I got this. Listen, church, the way we respond in this world is by trying to outpower the powers of this world. And what that shows about us is we don't actually believe in the power of the gospel. We don't absorb anything. If anything, we don't, we don't forgive others. We don't... Uh, we don't Absorb injustice if there's problems in the world. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna out talk, we're gonna outfight, we're gonna outdo it, we're gonna we're gonna outpower this thing. The problem is put us in power and we'll make a mess of it. What the people of God really rest in is that they gave him his they gave Jesus the best shot. They, 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 uh, they gave him all power. They went after him with everything that is in And he absorbed all of it and conquered it and took away its sting. 
paid the price. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Church, you will not know power by pursuing strength and dominance. You will only know true power when you see in Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, we, his church, have been given. Hear me on this. And everything in us, when we feel helpless and fearful, wants power and strength. But what we need is trust. What we need is trust. We need to become helpless and weak and trusting in the Lord who is over all of it, who has conquered all of it. This, this hits home with me, church. This hits home. Not just this week, but this week. Sat in tears, crying, feeling helpless. And I sat with my kids in the room and explained the injustice and how can't understand why all this is happening and my kids were crying and we're sitting there trying to pray through it and I looked at my kids and I said everything in us wants to be strong and make this right but we have to be trusting and out of that just happened to be studying Ephesians just happened to be and I took my family to this prayer and I prayed this, that we would see what true power is. By trusting in the resurrected Savior. You will not know power apart from Christ. So there's only one way to end this time, and that is by just saying there's going to be some pastors and leaders and deacons. If you want somebody to pray with you, all we're going to pray is, Lord, like Paul, give them revelation of true power. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. 